Welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom, here with Philip today, and it's time for our uh, tri-weekly, quad-weekly, I guess that's called monthly, episode about <laughs> um, fatherhood as an umbrella topic discussing our three previous topics. So we've talked about body image issues, we've talked about uh, the consumption of pornography, and we've talked about, uh, oh, what was the other thing? Safety. Safety, safety right? yeah. And uh, I think both, I think all, well, at least two of the three of these uh, are something we both have a lot to say about, uh, or at least I have a lot to say about. Uh, and we things that we have a lot of data about. I think safety, we may even hit on more data this week than we did last time we talked about it. But uh, let's start off, I'm thinking, with body image issues. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Cool. I'll say real quick uh, on the topic of what to call it uh, that, uh, you know, you know, you're going to call it monthly, but the problem is if we really do it every four weeks, we're going to slowly drift until uh, we have an, uh, one that also occurs. We're going to have, we're going to have at some point a month where we have two of them. <laughs> I think we already do because we like began in the middle of a month. So Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think we already broke it, but it, it it's okay. Yeah. Nobody, nobody really listens to one episode a week. You either listen yeah, yeah. to four episodes a week as a psychopath, or it takes <laughs> you four weeks to get through an episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, so who knows? <laughs> this is the correct way to begin every podcast is by just trashing your listeners and calling them psychopaths. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what that's what Tommy specifically tommy not me tommy wants you to know that if you listen to if you binge listen to our podcast uh he he thinks you're a psychopath i think you're great i think you should keep listening to molding masculinity uh as much as possible but tommy is gonna judge you just know that going in it's fine uh so uh using judging is our segue uh body image issues this is one that I have a lot of strong opinions about from my own upbringing, as is kind of the general way I direct this show, uh, or not direct, uh, the way I push this show's direction is in talking about my own background. Uh, I, the root of most of my body image issues come from a situation of as a kid where I was, I literally was super skinny just because that's like most of most kids, most people in my family are like really, really skinny. Like, uh, and I, every single time I went to anybody's house, any grandmother's house or just anybody like any older adult met me at any point, there was always some kind of a phrase of, Oh, we got to put some meat on those bones. Or if you've been eating, you don't eat you need food we gotta get you to like you know do something to put some muscle on your bones or there was always a comment about my body almost immediately mm -hmm. and then as i got older i did hit this weird little point in middle school uh partly because i was on prednisone for a minute in middle school where i did gain a, like i got kind of pudgy and I felt that, like, yeah, that, like, I felt like, oh, my God, like, oh, now I'm, like, now, then I immediately felt uncomfortable with my body in the opposite direction, and whenever I would say anything about that, everybody around me would also, like, I, I think it was in the, 
in a well-meaning way of like, oh, no, you're not. Nah, you're skinny. You're skinnier than me. You're skinnier than so-and-so. You're skinny. And it created an absolute confusion in my brain to where, like, to this day, like, like at this point in my life today, I, if I'm being honest, I have literally no concept of what my body size or shape is in form of any kind of relativity. Like, if you ask me whether I think I am skinny, overweight, or, like, healthy, or muscular, or anything, I, I literally don't know. I'm an amorphous blob in my own brain. That is my projection of my body. <laughs> in some ways, that might be preferable to some of the neuroses that can develop. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, obviously, that's not super pleasant for other reasons. But, like, yeah, you know, speaking as see, as someone who is, you know, currently overweight uh, in a medical sort of definitionally a term, uh, like trying to keep things objectively speaking, um, and who is actively in the process of trying to eat better, improve my lifestyle type stuff. It's been an interesting conversation watching my son's reaction to this, both of them, but particularly my older one who kind of has the, ha has reached the stage in his development where he is kind of paying more attention to others uh, you know, early reverse, like few years of life, you know, you're in that, you know, very self-focused state. Uh, and my five-year-old still a little bit in that, uh, getting a little bit better, but, uh, my older one's noticing and, you know, he's asking a lot of like, um, uh, well, he's not, he's not asking us questions so much as like, he's sort of taking things that he sees about us and how we behave and like focusing it on himself. And it's, uh, it's been interesting to try to navigate that because um, for example, like we do Weight Watchers to track our, you know, things. And so we're, wife and I are, are you know, when we're doing planning for our meals on a given day, we're talking about, oh, uh, I don't really want to go to, you know, X restaurant or, or eat X kind of food. It's worth a lot of points. And, you know, like I'm going later to meet some friends and I want to have some cushion there. If everyone decides, let's go, let's get a pizza or something, you know, like, um, you know, we're trying to navigate our, you know, allocated sort of food budget, if you will. And, you know, my son picks up on that and is like, oh, how many points is, you know, this worth? How many points is this worth? And he's like, you know, because of course my son is a very mathematical mind and he wants to like start calculating how many points he's intaking. And like, we have to kind of direct that be, or I've tried to, to direct that in a sense of like really focusing him in on the reason mommy and I are doing this is not because there's something wrong with us or that like, or, you know, it, it or, or rather not necessarily that, but like it, the point is it's a health concern. You know, if we don't get control of our relationship with our food, then we will develop heart conditions, we'll develop problems that will make us, you know, not live as long, do that kind of stuff. And we, and I try really hard to constantly frame it in that, to like, let him know that like the reason to diet, the reason to do these things is not because you need to match a particular ideal. It's because there are known scientific objective things that are harmful or beneficial to one's health. And 
you know, if you're consulting with your doctor and your doctor is saying, you know, it'd be healthier for you to be like this or you're fine or whatever, then like, that's fine. And, you know, I've, I've had physicals and checkups and stuff. And he says, you know, Hey, you know, your cholesterol is getting a little high. Hey, you know, you could probably eat a little bit better, lose some weight would be beneficial for your health. And it's not a matter of, wow, fat. So, uh, it's not very pleasant to look at you. It's, it's, it's purely a scientific thing of like, if you want to maximize or attempt to maximize your lifespan, this is a thing that you need to change. And we try to keep it framed in that way specifically because I don't want him to start like looking at himself and looking at his food and thinking like, am I eating, am I going to be fat? Like, am I going to be ugly in some way? And I don't want him to internalize that sort of, uh, because it could be very easy to twist it in that direction if we're not careful about how we talk about it. So we always try to talk about it in terms of medical benefits rather than like, obviously, you know, both of us want to like look in a swimsuit or whatever. Um, but not, but, but we try to keep the focus on the health benefits over, um, the aesthetic benefits. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of validity to that. I mean, I, uh, I definitely directed some of my concepts of what was what was good for well, I mean, yeah, like I, I think most of us when we're growing up, we pull these concepts of what is good physical health from the adults that are around us. And um, you know, there was a lot of elements of that that was part of what made me often feel kind of insecure was there was this like focus on muscularity as defining masculinity and also size defining masculinity and this is something you find in rural communities very commonly in fact just uh over the week you know from uh after last episode i ran into a uh oh one of these like alpha sigma male things uh, it was like an ad for that and it had this reference to like you know buy one of our shirts and they're only found in large sizes and above because we're alpha males and it was that this kind of conceptuality that like you're not a man unless you are a large man just ingrained itself into my head so much as a kid because i was always smaller than everybody else and i always was very aware that i was smaller than everyone else so then hearing all these other grown adults talking about how their size to find their masculinity really fucked me up like you know it had me convinced that i was never going to be able to be a masculine man and it i think is also largely of what like directed me for, away from certain um stereotypically masculine activities like well like sports i didn't get it which also contributed to me not being a larger like you know not you know putting on muscle and things is like i didn't get involved in sports because i'm not I'm not man enough. Like I'm not tough enough. I'm not masculine enough to be in sports was what I had already kind of gotten pre-programmed into my head by watching the adults around me talking about how these things identified what it was to be a good human. Uh, and so I had it stuck in my head. Oh, well, I'm not one of those, so I can't do what they do. And that was, I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in thinking about mine, like, you know, I, I did get into sports for a while and uh, not and getting out of them as I got older was actually a big contributor to my um, disconnect between my appetite and my uh, <laughs> body shape. Um, but, 
you know, it's interesting because like my parents tried me out at kind of everything initially early on. I did baseball. I did football. I never did soccer weirdly because a bunch of my cousins did soccer, but that was never something my parents did. But um, I just couldn't get into football. I think like I liked, I think my, um, I, I had a disconnect between what my brain liked about football and what my body was good at at football. <laughs> I was apparently very good at like, getting in and like and tackling people or whatever like i was good at being a defensive like sort of like line person uh because i had like a combination of like size and agility that let me uh be good at that uh but um what i like to do was run with the ball <laughs> uh and so that's uh, not something you get to do very often playing defense um so i i never got into it so i kind of got out of it in that in that uh, early time and um so my sort of sport of choice going through a lot of my uh time as a child was baseball and my mom did swimming uh when she was younger like in um high school and stuff and so like my perception of of sort of the ideal athletic body was formed by some of those sports, which in baseball and in swimming, the body types that you see are less like hulking, you know, massive men, uh, you know, bowling, bowling through and over uh, others. It's, it's more of a, either an all around sort of thing or kind of just like leaner toned sort of thing. So like, I never had um, this like disconnect per se because like you know when I'm exercising well and eating well like that kind of is how my body naturally sits I'm a little bit tall and lean so like mine mine kind of matched decently well enough at least close enough that like I never had this like wow I don't look anything like the people that are good at baseball like um so I feel kind of fortunate in that way but certainly I had a lot of insecurity as, you know, I think a lot of mine stems from like in my high school years when I stopped being able to play baseball because it was too demanding on time. It, they wanted, you know, I think when I went to high school, it was like you could make every day, like half the day, essentially like baseball practice. And it was just like, I have too many other interests. I'm not interested in baseball this much. Um, so I quit and uh, for me, it was like, well, you know, then I started, I had the appetite of someone who exercised all the time and uh, a teenager appetite at that. And eventually that caught up with me and, you know, just eventually someone's like, you know, makes teenagers are mean uh, as a group of people. Obviously I know lots of teenagers who are very kind and nice people, but as a group teenagers, uh, there's a lot of, cruelty that no adult would say to another uh in in normal settings to a stranger and you know you get a lot of people who are making comments about uh your body in ways that like stuck with me and like really made me self-conscious about stuff so like i tend to be uncomfortable if i have a tight fitting shirt even if my i'm decently in shape it kind of makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable because i'm like oh people can see the shape of my body and I don't want someone to comment on it, but like no one's commented on my body in years that it doesn't change that insecurity that comes from a very early experience. 
Yeah, and I think that brings us a little bit around full circle. We've both had a similar experience and a lot of this being formed by other people's comments. And I think that brings us to an important keystone in doing better as we mentor kids and as we teach our own kids and raise our own kids and moving forward with this, making sure that we don't pass along this thing that we dealt with. And that is yeah. just just not commenting on the bodies of children. Like, And I mean, and I say this as like a, well, it's the obvious thing, just don't do this. I think it's important to note that most of the adults that we grew up with weren't doing this maliciously. And oh it, yeah, like it happens. I have definitely, you know, like I, we, I, I'm, I'm not giving out any identif- you know, identifying elements here, but a kid that I work with uh, is 12 years old and almost like we're sh- sh- right at six foot. And it's definitely uh, being that I work in a primarily basketball-oriented uh, space where I have a lot of basketball coaches who come through. Uh, it's a thing that is probably, I'm sure, especially in her presence, it's came up where I've remarked about her height. And, well, I know, I know it has because I felt bad about it immediately afterwards. And it's something I've kind of eaten myself up with. I'm like, I shouldn't remark even though it's something that like you know we're both aware of she's aware of it i'm aware of it the coach is aware of it we all know yeah you're exceptionally tall for a 12 year old it's not good to have people remarking on your body like that it messes with your head like just don't remark on people's bodies it's not something they can change it's not something well especially for children when we're talking about children it's not something they have control over even if it right. is, you know, yeah, like even if it's a situation where they need to have adjusted diets, they don't have control over that. The adults in their life do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think there are occasionally spaces, I mean, a doctor's office being the most obvious one, but like, I'd say like, even in like certain sports contexts where, you know, there are times when the advice you need to give someone is informed by their body right? Like if you have really long legs, you know, some of the things that you need to do to, you know, optimize certain techniques are slightly different. And I think in those kind of cases, it's okay to say like, Hey, you know, uh, you're really tall. So you need to keep in mind that when you, uh, you know, do this technique, you need to change it in this way because, uh, you know, the, your legs affect it in, in a different way. Like, like I think yeah, what we're not saying is like um, t- people's bodies and what they, how they're shaped are so taboo that no one should ever say anything about anyone ever. I think it's like it, we need to be acutely aware that there's a lot of self-consciousness inherently tied up in one's own appearance and how they appear, especially since like, that's going to always like, you know, without greater societal change, inevitably people are going to be bombarded with a lot of images and standards and stuff that are wildly unrealistic and formed by Photoshop. God for, you know, God forsaken Photoshop freaking making everyone think they got to like take inhuman poses where like their back would literally snap if they managed to get into that pose naturally, like uh, just outrageous type stuff. But like, 
you know, that given that that's the backdrop that you're working against, you know, try to understand that people are going to be self-conscious about their appearance and their body, especially if it's a really obvious way of which they, they stand out and just like, don't talk about it unless you have like a pragmatic reason to, and you are the person put in position of talking about that pragmatic issue. It's just like, don't, if you're just a friend, uh, don't talk about it unless they're bringing it up and they're inviting you to talk about it. Yeah. Good. Which just basically a don't be an asshole rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, and I, you know, we say these things that make it sound like it's super easy, and I just want to clarify that it's um, we're all human, and it mm -hmm. is like it is even easy things we make mistakes and we do it happens. The point of this isn't to find this purified version of yourself that exists out there and just become that. That's not how reality works. That's not how this works. The point is personal improvement, self-betterment, realizing, hmm, these are some things I need to work on. These are some things I need to think of when I am uh, forming relationships with other people and when I am... Uh, uh, you know, just talking with other people when I'm having, you know, all the, the, the word is escaping me right now, but our interconnectedness with the people in our community. Yeah. Here's some things we need to keep in mind, better ourselves on and do better about in the future. And this is one of those, like, just be aware of how your language comes off to kids. Cause I feel very confident that if most of the older adults, when I was a kid had just had that had bothered to if 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 they had if they just did stop and think or have the like the kind of conversations or uh, awareness of how their words affected kids around them that they talked to they wouldn't have said some of the things they said because it was a pointless thing it was just like a it was small talk it was a small talk thing that came up in conversation about like man Thomas over there could really use some muscle on his bones. And like it, it, it's 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 not ill meaning, but ill intent comes across. Just be careful. Yeah, please. for sure. And there's a lot of this kind of stuff in in you know sort of small talk discourse, if you will, um, of stuff like uh, an example that comes to mind. And this touches on a completely different topic. That I don't want to go down in this particular episode, but like you know, people will talk about like, uh, and often it's the the same the same people that. Uh, talk about how bad it is for two men to kiss at a McDonald's because it's sexualizing our children uh, will at the same time go up to children and be like, Oh, is that your girlfriend? And it's like, what? Like, um, you know, basically just like, I don't know, have some awareness about like, like it, it, it can be hard in the sense of like, a, we're all used to hearing certain things as memes. Um, but also you know, be, be aware that it's not without consequence. And a lot of times those things do have an effect on people that you may not fully understand. And it's not because you're bad. It's just because like, there are things that we have as small talk, common things. Like sometimes you're going to be surprised. I'm like, wow, you're really tall. But, you know, try to imagine being really tall for a minute and how annoying it probably is to have every single new person you meet go like, wow, you're really tall. Like, no kidding. Like, um, it, you know, just, 
to borrow a, a phrase from a, a, a YouTuber that I'm a fan of, uh, John Green, one of the Vlog Brothers, uh, imagine others complexly, and you will find that there are some behaviors that you thought were innocuous that may be causing sort of just small bits of harm to people here and there that are good things to get out of your system. Yeah. So I, um, I think that wraps up everything I have to say about that one. Do we want to move on to safety? Yeah, yeah. So listeners will, or I should say savvy listeners, will notice we are going slightly out of order here. Uh, saving the spice for the end. Yes. Uh, also, I think um, my kids are too young, and perhaps this is not a topic that, as a mentor, you breach with your mentees uh, terribly often. But uh, No, so it seemed like the safe move to make. Yeah, was to move it to the end. Uh, speaking of safety, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, what uh, what do you uh, what are your what are your thoughts around safety and mentorship? I think this is a huge topic, and this is something very important, of course, to fatherhood too. I mean, anytime you're dealing with kids, like ninety nine percent of our interaction with kids is trying to keep them from hurting or killing themselves. Uh, you know, the, and, and this is something we have to actively do. And I think our society has mostly came around to this. Like, I don't think I really need to uh, teach and preach that, you know, we need to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, kids can't just be like left to roam free in the neighborhood to do whatever they want. It Safety is such a thing that is in, in uh, this ties directly to what we were talking about last episode because i think this applies later on in adult life too and it's part of the reason why we often kind of struggle with some of these concepts uh in uh modern society where we're kind of sheltered from certain threats in our environment safety is something very specifically circumstantially acquired um, as you talked about, like about not really understanding uh, uh, the value of a bicycle helmet until you saw it crack in half on the sidewalk and you're like, ah, that could have been my skull. Like, I think safety is something that so commonly we don't conceptualize harm until we see harm. And children, by nature of being children, are very innocent to the world and to a lot of the harms that the world and our environment can befall us. And it's very important to teach that as best we can until they experience it. Um, because they can't just experience everything that the environment can harm them with. Like, it just doesn't work that way. Like, you can't harm them in every way the environment can so that they know that's called child abuse. Yeah, traumatization <laughs> is is not parenting. <laughs> So we have to teach elements of things, and this comes up all the time in, uh, you know, in rec in, in you know, in my what I do, um, which is essentially childcare and a lot of mentorship stuff. And kids, uh, all the way young and all the way old, will uh, do things that are a dangerous, reckless activity, and I have to explain why it's a dangerous and reckless activity. Um, and different tactics kind of have to be taken at different ages. I find with younger children, I take a lot of distractionary tactics. Uh, for instance, 
I've got a bunch of kids uh, who really like to build fortresses out of things. They're kind of at that age level, I think, where that is a big element of their play sphere, which is something I'm super cool with. And I'm going to I'm going to get a little off topic and talking about this. But so like I'm one day in our rec center, I've got them like I come around the corner and they're trying to build fortresses out of like folding tables. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, no, <laughs> we're not going to do this. How about instead I bring out these gym mats? Because unlike a wooden 40-pound folding table, these are foam. And it they cannot fall from a reasonable height and hurt you. Like, they're foam. You're fine. And so that worked great. They were immediately distracted by these way cooler playthings that were way more easily for them to handle. And uh, they were happy. They didn't need to know why using the folding tables was dangerous. They really they weren't going to comprehend that anyways. I just distracted them with something else. Also, really great play, stay, play stuff because, and I'm just going to dive into this really shortly, they're at that time where they're like understanding how their environment around them works. And I think this is relevant to safety. That you know, you're, you're beginning to understand your environment and how to manipulate your environment. In this building of fortresses with these foam mats, I really noticed that it like starts off super rudimentary as they don't really know how to manipulate these things. And as they keep doing it, it keeps getting more and more and more complex as they start understanding, oh, well, I can balance this on this and it's going to be, oh, now the walls are too spread apart and it's going to fall over. Oh, this is wrong. It's going to fall over. Oh, this is wrong. The roof is going to cave in. Oh, I don't have anything on the floor. It's going to be uncomfortable. Like they, 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 they learn and make all these adjustments as they go. And this is a part of like learning kind of, you know, learning your environment and how to manipulate your environment on your own terms and in non-structured activity, I think is very important to building like a way of understanding your environment and maintaining safety. Sorry, I got a little off topic there. But uh, with later age groups, I find different tactics work differently. I've found with some more middle-aged, you know, when I'm talking like later kids getting more into middle school, sometimes a lot of extreme literal language becomes more useful because their thinking is very literal. So if I'm very literal with them, they process it lightning fast. Um you know, this can be like, oh, what do you mean? Why can't I like play in the skate park on like one of the four wheel scooters? Well, because it's not designed for that. And if you like if you fall on that concrete, it's going to break your leg and we're going to have to go to the ER and it's going to be a really bad day for you and me both. Oh, OK, no, I get that. I won't do that. Like I that, that was maybe a bad example. But, you know, you get what I mean. It's certain literal. Just be straightforward and honest. And uh, if they trust you, they're going to trust you and things move smoothly. Doesn't work as well with younger kids, doesn't work as well with older kids. But it's just knowing your, I don't know, knowing your kids, knowing your age group. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting. My perspective as a parent is slightly different in that kids have this unusual phenomenon where um, they, uh, for a while when they're very young, they basically do whatever you tell them to do within some degree of, of flexibility. Um, you know, they will try to get away if they know they're not supposed to, sometimes they'll try to get away with things. But in general, if you say like, Hey, stop, they stop. Um, at some point, um, this evolves into uh, a point where uh, you as a human parent have made an error at some point and your child discovers uh, much to your chagrin, that uh, sometimes you're wrong about stuff. 
And um, when that happens, your child decides that you are wrong about everything uh, that uh, they don't like, <laughs> um, which makes uh, for an interesting paradigm when it comes to safety uh, education type stuff in particular, in that uh, you will tell them, um, hey, stop stacking these cushions really high and jumping off of them, you're going to get hurt when you miss and they ignore you and then they do it and then they get hurt when they miss and then they cry and you say, you simultaneously have to try to be compassionate and comfort them and also tell them that that was very, very dumb and you're also told not to do that um, because they need to remember that next time, uh, which they inevitably fail to do. So it it's a weird, the, I think actually like teaching safety to children is an incredibly deep well. Um, so I'm going to try to keep this focus specifically on, on uh, safety precautions when it comes to certain kinds of activities and not safety as a whole. Because I think, for example, you mentioned uh, whether or not it's safe to have kids wandering around the neighborhood alone. And I find I found very interesting information about that. You know, there are definite like, for example, there are cultures I believe um, in Switzerland. If I'm remembering correctly, getting some secondhand information, so you're gonna have to forgive me. Uh, children in elementary school will be let out for lunch. They will go to the local cafes and restaurants nearby and they will have money and they will go and buy their own lunch and they will sit as little groups of, you know, eight-year-olds at a table or whatever and eat lunch and then go back to school <laughs> when their lunch hour is over. Um, so some of our cultural, some of our attitudes about the safety of children going out and being independent in these ways is somewhat informed by uh, like the fear culture of cable news, but that's an incredibly different topic that I don't want to get into. So setting that aside, I'm going to take that giant blob that I just uh, uh, brought into the conversation and now shove it away <laughs> um, and say specifically around say, uh, the, the thing we were talking about where, where you know, you're, you're um, addressing um, the sort of cultural phenomenon of, um, you know, th th people thinking that they have to be a real man, they have to not be safe. You know, I think when it comes to children, you just like, like, A, always encourage them to take safety precautions. Like, don't let your kids not buckle their seatbelts. Don't let your kids not wear their helmets when they're riding a bike, whatever. Like, I mean, basic stuff that all like I would think goes without saying, but probably doesn't. Um, it's not cool to be the cool uncle you had as a kid who was like, here, play with the fireworks. This will be awesome. Like, yeah, if you're going to do that, also teach safety precautions. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I'll say specifically the thing that I think is the most impactful as far as like addressing the, the particularly like male concern here of like not perpetuating a toxic masculinity trait of that, like, I don't need to be safe. That's how I know I'm real man thing is um, don't tie um, toughness to masculinity in your 
language with children. So what do I mean by this? Um, kids hurt themselves in incredibly minor ways all the time and immediately burst into tears. And obviously that's not a behavior that can continue into their teenage years and older. You have to teach them to be resilient, to be tough, uh, male or female child, right? Like you have, you have to be able to endure some degree of physical pain without collapsing into a sobbing ball. So that is a thing that you have to teach, but it's tempting to try to appeal, especially with children who sometimes can't really process the more complex reality that you're trying to communicate to appeal to things that are simple and easy to understand. Um, it's tempting when your child scrapes a knee and is crying to say, you gotta, you know, you're a boy, you gotta be a man, tough it out, you know, not cry get, you know, get in here and just kind of be tough and get a bandaid on it and, and deal with it. Half of that advice is good, you know, like being able to control your emotional outbursts to go and get appropriate medical care for injuries that you sustain and, and not letting it, letting your frustration and anger and sadness and pain control your actions is good. Those things should all be taught, but they, but you don't need to inject them into a masculine identity because they're just not those are useful skills for everyone to have like anyone who scrapes their knee and it just like collapses to the ground sobbing is just not a functional adult so like say you know emphasize that yeah you gotta be able to be tough you gotta be able to to uh, be strong and power through and hold in your tears sometimes in order to get appropriate medical conditions, uh, you know, is an appropriate thing to teach. You just need to not, not try to appeal to these sort of more naive concepts in an attempt to get compliance out of your children. You know, um, it's, it's sort of like, um, sort of like a softer version of spanking in a way. If you look at the science around spanking, the science is very clear. It's harmful in the long term, but it gains short-term compliance. Your kids will do what you say in the short term more often if you use that as punishment. But the problem is, is that it has long-term effects of uh, cruelty and violence as behaviors that they resort to. So you have to weigh if you're ever going to use physicality with your children, how important is it that they actually listen to me right now? Are they about to crash a $500,000 item that is going to bankrupt your family if they break it and you have to pay for it? Okay, it's probably okay to slap their hand or grab them really hard or whatever. It, it's not optimal, but it's certainly better than you know some disaster be falling you, your kid's about to run out into the road or something, get hit by a car. You know, there are times to be physical with children. Um, but um, I, I think tying, you know, injecting these sorts of things into their psyche has a similar effect. It's like, it's going to get you, they, they may be more willing to, in the moment, say like, okay, I'm going to be strong and be a man and tough it up. Uh, but, you know, in the end, that's going to get them some harmful behavior down the road. So I think you just have to weigh that and try to avoid using it unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you bring up 
a lot of things that I had uh, I had not really realized or even thought of or processed because again I'm not a father yet. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think you have a lot of validity there, and I mean you know like one thing that does come to mind. I had a very young child uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago who uh, we were having a Nerf battle. He was really too young to be involved in the Nerf battle, but he was. Uh, and uh, he's like four. And uh, he got hit right smack in the nose, point blank with a Nerf dart. And uh, immediately started crying. And uh, I swung in and slid up to him and checked him out and made sure, like, you yeah, know, he was definitely okay. It just hurt. And... Uh, patting his back I'm like hey you're all right you're okay and the he was and he kept like repeating I'm like no i'm not okay and that was i think and i might be wrong in my perception of this but the way i was understanding the situation was that he he's too he, he's too young to fully when you're young when you're a kid like that you don't you don't understand how your body responds to everything. You don't have a large, you know, catalog of pain memories to be like, hmm, I've had this pain before. This one's a serious one. I need to go to a doctor. Like, oh, nah, this one's nothing. I'm good. Like, you don't have that big catalog. You have a very little catalog. So everything, your brain, as a, uh, uh, you know, your brain's kind of telling you, oh, no, 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 this is... I, I'm dead. I'm dying. This is severe. And so what he really needed was that reassurance. And that's what I was, I, I did my best to give. Like, no, I promise you, you're fine. Everything's okay. You're going to be good. And I just stuck with him the whole way through it as he was crying. And as he calmed down, I'm like, you're fine. You feeling better? No. Are you sure? Okay, well, that's cool. That's It's fine if you don't feel better right now, but you're going to be all right. I promise you, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. And, 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 and like, you know, and saying, I promise you, you're going to be fine, but not in like a scalding way. Like, oh, mm -hmm. you're fine. Calm down. Like, no, in an, in an honest, reassuring way. And he did. He eventually got there and he was cool. And then I could not get that kid to leave me alone the rest of the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had just gained a best friend. And, um, and I think that's like a lot of times what, you know, kids at that young age are needing. And we often like, you know, I know the like knee jerk reaction I often got as a young kid was this like, uh, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry for man up, be a man about it. Oh, you know? man. And like all of these like aggressive knee jerk reactionary movements to it that accomplished not the thing that needed to be accomplished, which was getting me to calm down. It definitely screaming at somebody doesn't make them calm down. And it didn't accomplish the thing that it sought out to accomplish, which was to instill this idea of toughness being masculinity. Didn't instill that into me. It really didn't. Like, it doesn't, that's not how that, it just doesn't work that way. Um, yeah, for sure. And it's it's always hard, you know, like in these kind of cases, because sometimes like you're jumping into a situation where, especially as a parent, where like you hear a child scream and of course, you have all the panic associated with that and you run in and you come to find out that they're screaming because they didn't get the, uh, they couldn't reach the toy that they wanted or something. And like those moments are like, it's very hard to make optimal parenting decisions because like you're going through your own emotional roller coaster and your brain is like thinking that your child's about to die. And then like going like, Oh, never mind. It was something really stupid. Um, and then being annoyed at the, 
that the child for being stupid, but then having to remember that the child is too young to not do stupid things and like having to go through all the cycles all while processing your own emotional state. It's, it's hard. It's very, very hard. It is. And I, I certainly do not do it optimally uh, every time. Yeah. But, and, I mean, and, and that's again, though, the whole point of what we're trying to do and say here is like, yeah, this isn't about be- reaching some perfect point. Like, I just right. said all of that about what I did with that kid. I promise when I have my own kid, there is going to be one day where it's going to be exactly like what you described. I'm going to hear screaming. It's going to register in my brain as, oh, that's the pain scream. And I'm going to go in there, all senses on 11, and it's going to be something stupid. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You are fine. Stop crying. And like, yeah, that's we're humans. Mm-hmm. It's It's the point is gradual improvement and trying to do better because uh, you'll never yeah. if you if you don't recognize it's a problem you're never you'll never do better and i'll say real quick that when a lot of these things one thing i'll say is um there's a there's a phenomenon called the curse of knowledge which is um a people that have deep knowledge and experience in a particular thing uh once they've gained a sufficient amount of it will lose perspective uh uh and and fail to be able to understand what the experience of not knowing that thing is like um it's why sometimes people who are like super 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 educated in a particular field sometimes they're the worst teachers of it because they don't know how to present the topic to people that don't already know a ton about it um, and this is actually why a lot of parents struggle to teach their kids certain things, myself included, because you forget what it's like to not know how to handle bonking your knee on a table, how not know how to handle scraping your elbow. Like you forget what it's like to not have a giant catalog of references for what kinds of pain are serious and what kinds of pain are just like annoying and will go away and you know it's hard to remember that your four-year-old is does not know that the pain in his nose is not is going to go away they do not know that that to them like it's very possible their nose will feel like this forever now they don't necessarily have all the kind of modeling that they they're like really thinking like 50 years my nose is going to pain, be in pain one day like I will you know like it, it's not it's not super dramatic like that either it's just like they feel really bad and they don't know they don't have that certainty that that's going to go away anytime soon and it feels really bad and they want someone to make it stop and they're just upset and they don't know how to process it and the, like this, this pattern goes all the way back to actual infancy. And I will quote one of my favorite quotes from John Green, who I've mentioned already today, uh, that babies have two modes. They have, I am ecstatically happy and things could be better. And when things could be better, they do one thing and it's cry. <laughs> and, and that is just the like the thing you're talking about the nerf dart in the nose is exactly the same thing with just a little bit more information you know um and that's an experience they'll have to formulate uh their experience going forward that will help them in the future learn that okay it does go away i remember i got hit in the nose this sucks it's unpleasant but it did went away especially after i calmed down calming down made it go away faster and you know um 
you have that experience of it. Agreed. Now, well, moving on to another topic where we often struggle to remember what it was like before we knew about it. <laughs> um, sex and pornography. I uh, I think a lot of us. It, well, and actually, and I'm where I'm going to go with this is going to be even a little bit deeper than that. Talking about the idea of like the moving target of pornographic media specifically because like what i had to what what my dad had to deal with for the moving target of pornographic media and explaining it to your kids was very different than what his dad had to deal with and will be very different from what i'll have to deal with because media because you know technology moves so fast today i mean like not in like i don't mean like you know right now i mean as in like you know the, the the differences in technology over a lifetime. Like, if I have a kid tomorrow, somehow, magically, one just pops out tomorrow, I've got, eight, you know, 14, 13, 14 years of technological development before I get to whatever I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we often fall into this kind of category of, specifically, I think a problem that happens in this, and I think this is important to lead into as we're talking about this, is there are a lot of people who want to tell parents, hey, I have the one magic thing that you need to know or do to handle this brand new experience that you are arriving at for the first time. Uh, For my parents, this was the, uh, the, the brand new concept of kids on the internet. And this was a very scary thing for them at the time. It's something we're kind of normalized to now. But at the time, in the early 2000s, in the MySpace days, the idea of kids just existing on the internet was terrifying, and nobody knew how to deal with it. When my dad was a kid, it was probably the concept of kids having access to VHS tapes, and nobody knowing how to deal with that. It's... Mm-hmm. It's a moving target, and that's, you know, when I have kids, it's probably going to be, like, VR suites. Kids having access to, like, VR dating suites. How are we going to, ugh, what, ugh, this is so much to unpack. And there are never going to be anybody out there who has a magic bullet for how you need to deal with that as a parent. There is no easy answer to it. There is no, ah, the magical thing that we all just need to know and do, because it's a new problem. And when you're facing a new problem, there are no immediate obvious easy solutions in my opinion oh yeah that is is absolutely true and that was something i was going to say as well as like you know this is a hard one because the in thinking about it you know the the in talking about like how to uh, and I, I will go ahead and say like my kids are young enough right now that this is largely a theoretical construct in my mind so um, I'm going to be light on pragmatic, uh, you know, applied knowledge here and, and seeing where my approach has succeeded and failed. But that said, you know, my thoughts on it are, are uh, one of uh, recognizing that um, my parents had no idea, I'm sure, what to do with the internet in general. And while I have some idea what to do with the internet, it certainly wasn't as um, accessible or easy or um, searchable as it is now. Um, and I think the landscape is always going to be changing around that too. And so, yeah, you know, there's, 
there's always going to be some unknowns. I don't think this, it, it, it will at least be a while before we get to a point where, um, you know, the way that these things exist is crystallized and we can start getting, you know, well-practiced good solutions around how to introduce children to X. Uh, though here's the thing. I don't hold a whole lot of optimism that that's ever going to happen. Even if all technology stopped developing right now, like sex developed something like billions of years ago and has existed for the entirety of human history. And we still don't have a good, clean way of talking about sex universally across humanity. So let's not pretend like we're all going to have like a super comfortable, easy conversation about porn with our children. And they're going to be like, yeah, I like this. This is great. It feels very open and honest and no one's uncomfortable. Like, I think when it comes to this and children, the best thing I've come to is you're going to be, as a parent, you're going to be uncomfortable as a kid. They're probably going to be uncomfortable. Like everyone's going to be uncomfortable, but it's more important that you just acknowledge that and push through it because it's very important that, that you talk about this openly and honestly because it is way too dangerous and volatile to leave them to explore it on their own. Um, and frankly, as a parent, you're not gonna understand everything that they're gonna find. You know, like my parents did not understand the breadth of internet and how it would change and like what like chat rooms for example are a great example of this like i mean how many like weird predatory people have existed in chat rooms and stuff and like kids were just like in there freely share like i mean everyone remembers everyone in my age at least remembers the asl days of of, of chat rooms where everyone's just freely being like oh i'm this old this is my sex and this is where i live and you're like Nowadays in 2021, it's like, wow, that was really stupid. And yeah, it was really stupid, but no one had any idea what was going on. Like, uh, man, uh, and, and it's going to be just like that. It is just like that right now. There is something that kids are doing that when they are adults, they will turn around and go like, wow, that was really obviously stupid. And I can't believe anyone let us get away with that because no one knew what they were doing. Uh, and I think the best thing that you can do is just, it's similar to teaching your kids to approach learning about more complicated issues in general, which is, I don't think that you're like, I think most parents want to have this like clean ideology or clean messaging that they can just like package up and say, here's what to believe, believe this and, and, and move forward. And that's a lot easier to do as well. Um, because you can just say, this is the absolute truth. Believe it. Believe me, I'm an adult. Um, a lot harder to do, but something that I try to do is instead equip them with tools that will give them what they need to evaluate things going forward. And they will misapply those tools at a young age, but you keep trying to show them how to use them and whatnot. So my thought about how I will approach this eventually is something to the effect of around the same time we have the conversation, uh, you know, after, or I should say, after the time, the, the birds and bees talk, right, has had time to settle and fully integrate into my children's view of the world. 
my plan is to sit down and have another conversation of like, okay, now you've probably started to experience some things about your body changing. We need to talk about the fact that that, that certain changes that are occurring make certain things feel really nice and how that's uh, going to interact with stuff and what you're going to need to you know, know about what's out there and how to approach it in a healthy way as best we know what a healthy way is. Um, and it's uh, like, and in, in imagining that conversation, I am already deeply uncomfortable, but, you know, I, I, I think about it enough to try to be ready to accept that comfort and approach it anyway, because I owe it to my kids to try to give them the tools that they need to approach these kinds of media better than what I had. Uh, and just continuing to try to do that incremental improvement thing, because I think the best thing I can do is get them to realize that, A, this, whatever you find on the internet is absolutely not a model of how things should be or are. And B, that, you know, this is something that can be a big problem if you overindulge, if you over, if you start you know, really expecting it to be uh, the way that your life is going to pan out. So, yeah. And, and I think, I, I think you're very right. Uh, and, and especially in the idea of like, yeah, teaching these kind of core concepts that are, that will eventually apply because like to use an example, my parents and I'm, I'm going to, uh, yeah, my, my parents, um, had no way of knowing or expecting that I would eventually stumble across casting couch porn on the internet when I became older. But what they were able to do was instill values and capabilities of processing the world so that I was immediately able to recognize this is either actually exploitative and abusive or this is mimicry of exploitative actions and abuse and i this is not okay this is problematic material and move on from that while not everybody had that framework of perceiving those certain specific genres of pornography. Um, and I'm just using that as a, like a very specific example. But uh, yeah, and I think that falls in the line of like the same kind of thing. And then, you know, similarly, when you're talking about like chat room things, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I got into chat rooms and yeah, neither of my parents, I, well, uh, my dad at least. Well, and at the time I was living with my dad, uh, he was kind of single fathering. He definitely had no real like, understanding of chat rooms. And uh, I had gotten into a conversation with a girl who was from Canada, ended up talking on the phone with her a lot and had no concept of international phone charges and <laughs> just dropped a nuclear bomb on his uh, phone plan. And uh, he's like, why have you been spending hours talking to a phone number in Canada? And then I had to explain this whole situation. He was very confused about it. Um, 
And I mean, it's like, you know, things like that of like, well, I, mean, I guess not really that in specific specificity. That was a uh, like, I still know who this person is today. I know they were not like a creepy uh, dude on the Internet. This was a real human being. But my parents did instill the kind of coping and processing uh, structures that I needed to understand when I was having an interaction with somebody on the Internet to be like, oh, there's some there's something up with this. And like and I didn't know exactly what it was because a lot of the terms and process and ways of processing like predatory behavior on the Internet hadn't been invented yet at that time. This was a wild west of the Internet era. But I had the type of framework to understand when somebody was trying to predate me or to manipulate me. I had the framework to understand when I was like being targeted for something that I knew there's a problem here. I need to back off and I need to like be aware of my surroundings kind of a thing. Um, those frameworks, teaching those frameworks to your kids, because you're not going to be able to control what they're exposed to. There's no, there's literally no, especially in, like, in any day's world at no time in history, did parents truly have full control over what their kids were exposed to. The and world, they shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, they I want to be clear. They shouldn't. It oh. like, it would not be a better world if I could control everything that my kid saw. I, I don't have that kind of judgment call. Like, yeah, I think, I, I think recognizing that you're going to have to gradually let go of your children uh, is very important to their healthy development. Yep. Well, that pretty much wraps up everything I have to hit on this week. Yeah, same. It's uh it's a weird one and I'm <laughs> very curious what my perspective will like this will be in approximately like 5 to 7 years. Um when my uh, oldest is approximately the age to address some of these things and really start like, I mean, safety is one thing, but porn and body image are things that are more afflictions of the older breed of children. Uh, and so, yeah, I'll be interested to see what some practical experience uh, teaches me about this in the modern era, but yeah. I agree completely. Um. So, yeah, as always, thank you all for joining us this week. We have a YouTube channel that this podcast is being released onto in audio format only, though, because, like, you know, uh, yeah, we're, 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 not, we're not doing video. Um, <laughs> I record from inside my closet. We're not doing video. If you uh, want us to do video, drop a comment. <laughs> yes. Hit that like button. <laughs> well, as soon as Other we get... obnoxious things to say about social media. <laughs> Yes, as soon as we get to 100,000 likes and uh, 50,000 comments, we will go video. Wow, man, you are, you're expensive. <laughs> that's when, that's when, like, I can afford makeup, so that's when we're doing it. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think makeup's that expensive, man. Uh. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you, we can, we can ask our wives. I'm sure they have some experience, like. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, um. Yeah, so we're on YouTube now. We're, of course, everywhere where podcasts can be found. Uh, you can follow me individually on Twitter. I'm at HandgunsPod on Twitter. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at our Facebook gr or Facebook page, which is Molding Masculinity, just as it is here. 
Uh, and a special shout out this week because I'm about to release the brand new graphics for all of our social media pages and everything else. And that is a shout out to the good Chad who has handled all of our graphic design is a fantastic individual that I have known from way back. And uh, I really recommend you go check out his Instagram page and uh, just everywhere else. He's on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. At, well, actually, I don't think he's on Twitter, but everywhere else he is at the good Chad fantastic person doing fantastic work out there i am so excited for our uh graphic stuff uh it's it's uh chef's kiss just <laughs> perfect uh i'm uh i'm loving it and yeah definitely go check him out thank y'all have a wonderful morning afternoon evening or whatever time of day it is thanks